morning I had a guitar around me and focused on trying to preach and didn't know whether to play guitar or preach. So it's a little bit, little bit less chaotic and cluttered this morning. We hope that you enjoyed our, our youth up here playing with us. They, uh, it's a wonder that they are able to keep time when they're so sleepy. So that's, that's always good. It's always good. They did a good job. So if you would, I would like to open this up in prayer before we start this evening. Father, I thank you for tonight, God. I thank you for this time that you've allowed us to be here. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we study your word. God, as we see the truths that are, that are in it. God, that we'd be faithful to trust it. And God, ultimately trust you. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And hopefully you remember that we've been going through 1 Peter. The opportunities that I've been able to be here with you guys, we've been studying through 1 Peter, going all the way from chapter 1, verse 1, to where we, where we are this evening. And last time I was with you a couple weeks ago, we were in verse 11 and 12. So we're going to be starting there tonight to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of understanding of, of where we are and, and where this scripture will continue to teach us. And if you'll look there in verse 11, I'd like to read through there and point out a couple things that are important for us tonight as we move forward in verse 13. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of Visitation. This is Peter writing to us, and he tells us as Christians that we are exiles. He says, you are sojourners, you are exiles. These are words that, are using, that Peter is using to carry the idea and the truth that as Christians, we are foreigners here. We don't belong to this world. The, the word exile, it, it paints the picture of someone who is from another land living in a different country, but they never set up their home there. They're always looking and longing for their homeland. And Christian, I hope that that is us. I hope that you as a follower of Jesus understand that this world is not your home. That, that you live your life looking forward to heaven with your Savior. And Peter reminds them, and this is again, Peter is writing to a people who are suffering and he is encouraging with the truths of the gospel. And this is part of that. You don't belong here. You have something to look forward to. You are uh, heading towards your true home. And tonight we see that Peter continues with this train of thought about being in exile and being a citizen of someone else. And really, we see a question answered before it's even brought up. And tonight we're going to be talking about kind of from a practical sense what God's Word teaches us about being a citizen of heaven, yet we're still living here on earth. But before we do that, church, do you believe that God's Word is valuable for every situation in our life? Absolutely. We see this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's valuable to us as His children. And so as we look in that and study this tonight, understand that God's Word teaches us in every situation, every practical situation, everything that we go through. And the question that someone might ask, looking at verse 11 and 12 that we're going to answer tonight, is something along the lines of this. Okay, if I'm a citizen of heaven and not of earth, then how do I practically live among an earthly government? How, how do I live in the middle of whatever government I am a part of as I'm living this life? 
This, this is a good question. This is something that we see people need to ask. I remember studying in school years ago. I did that from time to time in school. I did study. And I remember studying about a group of people called the Quakers. You want to know who the Quakers are? My, the f most famous one for me is a guy named Quaker Oats. But the Quakers were a group of people, a Christian group of people, who were, who were very pious. And I remember one thing about the Quakers in, in general was that they really did not show respect to government officials. They, they, tend to, they, they tended to get themselves into trouble with court officials especially because they would not remove their hats or do, do the things that were necessary to show respect to judges. And so people have even looked at the government and gone so far to say that as Christians, because this isn't our homeland, we have no responsibility towards whatever government we live in. And so tonight, Christian, we're going to explore that as we study these scriptures and as we study these truths in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, before we do, though, I want you to keep in the back of your mind the overall point of this section of scripture. The overall point of this section of scripture, really verses 13 through the end of the chapter, is that as followers of Jesus in a lost world, we're to do good and to live holy before God and before an unholy world, even in the midst of suffering. Now, I know that's a long thought to keep in the back of your mind. Okay? But the overall point that Peter says here is that no matter what we go through, as followers of Christ, we are to be a people who always strive to do what's right. I hope that you understand that and believe that tonight, that we in every situation no matter who it is with, no matter who we're involved with, we are to be seeking to do what is right. And the first point we see in verse 13 is that Peter tells us we are exiles, not rebels. Look there in verse 13. <clears throat> he writes and says, "...be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors." So we go a little bit into verse 14 there. He says, "...be subject." Peter tells us, that we are citizens of another homeland, however, we are still subject to our current government. That's what he tells this people that he's writing to. You don't belong here, but you still need to be subject to the government that you are under. The words be subject here, it means to be under obedience or to obey. As Christians, we do not rebel against the system or the laws violently as if we were above them. We are to submit to the laws of the land. We see this in several parts of Scripture. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, one of those as an example. It says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. As Christians, we are to be a people who strive to do good in the middle of whatever government we live in. Whatever section of area that we live in, whatever's going on, as Christians, we are to strive to do what is right and what is holy. For example, taxes. We love taxes, don't we? Now, a couple reasons I say taxes. Nick's over there grinning. I hope he would be. I hope he would be here so I could yell at Nick. A couple reasons I say taxes. One, because of the time of the year it is, right? It's, it's tax season. It's tax time. We all, whether you like it or not, this is something we have to do, but also because this is something that Scripture talks about. Scripture talks about the subject of taxes. So let's, let's practically talk about a situation where someone, as a Christian, looks at verses 11 and 12 and then doesn't look at verse 13. Let's say that, hypothetically, the government passes a new tax law that affects them negatively. As a Christian, 
Are we able to look at that and say, well, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm not even a citizen here. I don't even belong, so I'm not going to pay these taxes. Is that going to work? <laughs> no. No, that won't work, right? And Peter says that's not how we're to act. That's not how we're to practically live this right it, life. It's not right to do these things. Peter says to submit to your government. Matthew chapter 21, we see Jesus talking about this. Verse 15, it starts, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. That's what the Pharisees like to do with Jesus, isn't it? They like to try and trap him, and that's what they were doing. Verse 16, it says, And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now before we get to Jesus' response, which most of us probably know what it is, we need to understand a little bit of context. The Pharisees, as I said, are always trying to trap Jesus. And this is a situation where they probably think, all right, we've got him. Because if they can get someone like Jesus to speak out against Caesar and say something like, no, you shouldn't have to pay taxes to Caesar, that would stop whatever was going on. Rome, at this time, that they're over the known land, that they are a superpower, that they are over these things. And Rome, if they're known for anything, they are known for squelching rebellion, for squashing rebellion. So if there was even a whiff of someone going against Rome, it would stop immediately. Rome would get involved, and what they were probably planning on doing is taking whatever Jesus said that, that would go against Caesar, what they were hoping he would say, and they would go to the Roman officials, and that would, that would be it. But we see Jesus' response in verse 18. It says, But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Jesus paints this point in his ministry that we see right here in 1 Peter chapter 2. We are to submit to the government and the laws of the land. Now, you might be thinking, but what about a moral law that goes against God's word? What about something that, that maybe we're a part of a government, a part of a land that passes a law that goes against what we believe as Christians? What do we do about that? That's often where this conversation goes. And I think that's good. I think this is a good question that we should, that we should answer. Right, church? This is something we need to examine and we need to say. And before we get into this, remember the overall purpose of this passage is doing good and living holy lives before God and before a lost world, even in the middle of suffering. So church, let me answer this really quick for you. In all situations, in all situations, you do what is right according to God's Word. You do what is right according to God's Word, no matter the consequences. No matter the struggle, no matter the pressure, no matter what happens to you, you do what is right according to the truths we find in God's Word. Consequences may be inevitable, yet Scripture tells us that we still submit to them. Because even in disobeying a moral law, we are still held to submitting to the consequences of disobeying that law. 
I believe a fantastic picture of this is seen in Daniel chapter 3. Brother Jim, he preached on this a week or so ago. I think it was a week ago. Verse 16, we know what's going on. King Nebuchadnezzar, he issues this, this law of the land. Right? The law of the land, you're to bow down to this idol, you're to worship it every time, every time you hear this sound. And there's three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who don't do it. So at this point, they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and he gives them a chance to bow down, to turn away from their God, and to submit to the law of the land. And we know these scriptures, but I think it's important to read them. So these guys, they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And if you remember from Brother Jim's message, this is them saying, we've already made up our mind. Verse 17, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. We should never get numb to these stories. This is such an incredible picture of their faith in God and their faith in the middle of such a terrible situation. And I don't even think we've seen the full extent of it until we read verse 18, which is the next verse. So they say, We believe God can deliver us out of your hand, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're backed in a corner. They're before the king of the land. And they say, You have two choices. You can either bow down and worship or you can be thrown in the fiery furnace. And in this situation, they do not fear man. Instead, they fear God. They say, you can do to us whatever you want. We will take the consequences because we are not going to disobey our God. Regardless of the law, we submit to it until that law says to disobey God. Right, church? I'll say this again. This is important. Okay, We look at the law, and regardless of the law, we submit to it until that law says to disobey God. Then we submit to the consequences of that law. And that's a hard truth to take, church. That's a hard thing to see. That's a hard, hard thing to understand. But we're seeing it time and time again in our culture, in our society. For example, let's say hypothetically you are an employee of a business and you're asked your belief on certain moral issues such as abortion or homosexuality. What do you do? Knowing that if you answer biblically, you will lose your job. What do you do? Do you look at that and say, well, I don't want to go against the law of the land? No. You always do what is right according to God's Word and submit to the consequences of that choice. Because when you do, it's understanding that it doesn't matter what man can do to me, I'm always going to trust God in the middle of these dire circumstances. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And church, this is the, the things that we're facing in America. We are, seeing, we are seeing persecution to some degree in our, in our nation. I think maybe a better word for it is pressures from society. But church, every single day, believers across the globe are facing real intense persecution. Every single day, they are faced with this choice of, are you going to submit to the law of the land? Are you going to continue worshiping the God that you claim? And time and time again, we see that they submit, not to man, but to God. They trust Him and they face the consequences. So church, why do we act this way? Why do these believers across the globe, in our nation, why do they humbly submit to these governments? Because... We serve a sovereign God. That is the truth in government. And that's the second point 
that Peter tells us. Looking at verse 14, he says to trust God's sovereignty in government. Verse 14, reading the whole thing, he says, Or to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to punish those who do good. Romans chapter, chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Church, do we believe that we serve a sovereign God? Amen. Absolutely. You cannot read Scripture and come to any other conclusion. Our God is sovereign and in control. Psalm chapter 33, verse 10 and 11 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Throughout Scripture, we see God working throughout the nations to bring about His plan and His purpose. You ever read the book of Judges? No? You probably should. Sure. Hopefully. Have you read the book of Judges? I'm kind of nervous now. Yeah, sure. In the youth, we've been doing kind of an Old Testament survey, and we just looked at the life of Gideon. And time and time again in the Judges, whenever someone rises up as a judge, what has happened in Israel's history is what we see in the life of Gideon. Before God calls him to do everything that Gideon does, Midian has come in and taken over the land. Why did they do that? Why did Midian come and do that? Because the Lord used them to do that. The Lord was using Midian to bring about His purpose and to bring His people back to Himself. God is sovereign over all these things. And one specific reason we see, according to Scripture, that God uses governments, we see it in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read it in Romans chapter 13, and that is to punish evil. Now church, do we live in a perfect government system? By no means. Not at all, do we? And we shouldn't expect one. We shouldn't expect one. We need to understand that these are sinful men and women, many of them, if not most of them, not knowing who Jesus is. What do we expect to come out of that? They are sinful. They are lost. And because of that, we see what our job should be in the middle of these fallen, sinful governments. Look at verse 15. This is one of those places in Scripture that says, for this is the will of God. We struggle with that so often as Christians. What is God's will for my life? There are scriptures that say very clearly, this is God's will for your life. And this is one of those places. It says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In doing good, we will put to silence the naysayers. The word silence here, I like this word. It means to muzzle or stop the mouth. Peter is saying that we live in such a way in the middle of these governments, in the middle of these societies, that when people, when people rebuke us, when people slander us, we live in such a way to where eventually they have nothing else to say about us. They're literally stopped from saying anything else because they see the life that we're living. Sadly, we live in a church culture that is far from this picture. Church, I am tired of hearing of supposed Christians caught up in some kind of a scandal. Almost every single week, I see other news stories that break that talk about some pastor or some supposed Christian who is caught up in some kind of a crazy, sinful scandal. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it was meant to be. Peter says the church should be equated so much with righteous living that it literally shuts up our opponents. 
Every time these scandals break, we are adding more fuel to the fire. The world looking at the church and saying, Jesus doesn't save and he doesn't change. Peter says that's not the way it's supposed to be. You are to live holy and you're to do so in such a way that you literally shut up your opponents. To do right in every area of our life leads to a lifestyle that is evangelistic in actions and in words. We live in such a way, we do what is right in the middle of society. We even take the consequences of submitting to God instead of submitting to man. And when we do that, Peter says that people will start to see Jesus in us. Because is that not what he did? Is that not what our Savior did? He submitted himself to man so that God could be glorified. And that leads us to the third point. Even though we do this, even though we submit... It doesn't take away our true freedom in Christ. Look at verse 16 there with me. Peter says in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you put silence and ignorance to foolish people. He says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Regardless of how society views us or what rights we may or may not have, we can always be encouraged because of our true freedom that lies in Christ. We are only here for a short time. We have freedom. We have our freedom in Christ. And one day we will be with Him. This is the whole section of Scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting off and saying, you are a citizen of heaven. You don't belong here. You have freedom in Christ. The word free here, it means to be free just like a citizen, to be a part of a society where you have freedom. But there's a warning here that we need to look at. Freedom does not mean living foolishly. Freedom does not mean living however you want to live. There are many people who want to distort the idea of freedom and turn it into doing whatever our flesh desires. Oftentimes, this becomes a license to sin. Saying, well, I can do this because I have freedom in Christ. That is not what we're to boast about. Peter says here, you have freedom in Christ, but don't use it as a cover-up for evil. It means literally to cloak or to veil. He says, don't use your freedom so you can live sinfully and live in a fleshly manner. He says, use your freedom to serve your God. True freedom in Jesus does not mean a removal of responsibility, especially in light of being a citizen of heaven. We live in a free nation, don't we, church? Amen. We do. One of the freest nations ever. Today, in history, one of the freest nations ever. But does that mean that we have no responsibility as a citizen? No. We still have responsibility. We still have duties. We still have standards, right? Even though we are free, it does not mean that we can go and satisfy ourselves however we desire. There are boundaries. In church, when we talk about someone who has freedom in Christ, they should be living in the boundaries of God's will for them, their lives. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If you've ever had a small child, do you let that small child do whatever they want? No. That was a quick no from Michelle. I didn't even finish the question. No. Amen. Absolutely not. Why? Because it's a child. right? You don't, you don't free-range parent like you do free-range chickens. right? That's not a good idea. Okay? There are boundaries. right? There are boundaries, and often those boundaries are to protect your child. Why do you not let your child run out in the street and express their freedom that way? Because it's dangerous, right? These boundaries that we see in our freedom in Christ 
oftentimes it is to protect us. It is to take care of us. When we see these things in Scripture, it is not our Heavenly Father oppressing us. It is our Heavenly Father protecting us. Peter says, use your freedom, not as a cover-up for evil, but to serve your God. To serve your God, no matter where you are, no matter the consequences of what that means, live in a way where you always obey God's will. And only in obeying God's will, Christian, will you find true freedom and joy. That is a miserable human being, a Christian who is out of the will of God. You will live a miserable life. Why do I say that? Well, I think, like many of us, because I've been there at times in my life. I've been there at times in my life. We find true joy and we find true freedom when we submit ourselves to God's will for our life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus writes, very familiar passage, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I hope you've seen, there's a couple things in here we need to talk about. Oftentimes, this passage only talks about the aspect of rest, as it should, because this is one of the main points of this, this set of scriptures. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. But he also says, take my yoke upon you. Now, what was a yoke? What is a yoke? A yoke is something that would be fastened to something like an ox or, or some other farm animal, and normally it would be attached to something like a wagon or something like a plow. It implies work, doesn't it? It implies labor. You don't put a yoke on an ox when you're not fixing to put him to work, right? Jesus is saying, I will give you rest, but I will also give you a yoke. See, Jesus is saying that I will give you rest from the, the struggle and the work of trying to earn your own salvation and your own righteousness because you can't do it. You will find rest for your souls when you understand in me the work is already accomplished on the cross. He says, you still have a job to do. You still have a yoke. You have freedom, you have joy, and you have a job to do. You are to take his yoke upon you and do it well. And in submitting to God's will and submitting to what he wants us to do and serving our God and our freedom in Christ, we find that it is easy and the burden is light. That's what he finishes there in verse 30. We have freedom, but we should never use that as an opportunity for doing evil. Our freedom should be used for the purpose of serving God our Father. In church, to wrap it up this evening, the fourth point, we're going to see how all of this fits in a proper order. We end tonight looking at verse 17. If you look there with me. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, there are certain words here that really sets this in the right order. He first of all, says, honor everyone, and then at the last, he says, honor the emperor. So that's the first thing that we need to see. As Christian, we are to be looking to honor everyone, including those who are in authority. This is first. We must honor all people and love them with the gospel. This is the first thing that Peter really talks about. This word honor, it means to respect or revere someone. He says this is how we should treat all people, including the current leaders that are over us. And just to add something to it, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness 
and holiness. How can we as Christians honor those in authority? Well, I think the greatest way is by lifting them up in prayer, by asking the Lord to save their souls if they don't know Jesus, and asking the Lord to guide them in directing and leading this country. And we should not just be praying for our nation, we should be praying for those around the globe. Because brothers and sisters in Christ are affected by how leadership leads in different countries. We should pay attention to this. We should pray for the persecuted brothers and sisters. The second thing that he says is love the brotherhood. He says next, we ought to love one another with an agape kind of a love. Self-sacrificing, God-honoring, and Christ-displaying. This is how we're to love one another. Agape. It says love the church, love each other. And finally, and most importantly, we are to fear God. Church, this is vital. This is of the utmost importance. All of these other things, they are rightly aligned when we start with fearing God in our lives above all else. It doesn't matter what man can do to us because we know who God is and we fear Him above anyone else. What can man do to us? Christian, what can man do to you? What can society, what can government, what can anyone else do to you? Nothing. When you know Jesus, when you've trusted in Christ, none of, none of what man can do to you really matters. What matters is fearing the Lord and trusting Him. And this is the start. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In church tonight, as we finish that has to be the starting place. Do you fear God? This is a question that we don't ask very often in our churches or, or a truth that we don't present. Are we a people who fear God instead of fearing man? Do you fear God? Do you know Him? Have you trusted in Him through Jesus? Pray with me, church. Father, thank You for tonight, God. Thank You for the truths of Your Word that we find there. God, I pray that you would help us as, as your children, God, as your church, that, God, we would, we would hear your word, we would trust your word. God, we would see that no matter, no matter what we go through, no matter what we struggle with, God, that, that we, would, we would trust in you and, God, fear you above all else. Lord, we love you, we thank you for everything that you've given to us, and we thank you most of all for Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. You would stand with us, church.